The word of God from Genesis. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else they had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob said to him, asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Altogether, the grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Um, you, you may be seated. I am going to call uh, Dr. Kyle Wells up. Um, so this week, uh, Denver is host to Society of Biblical Literature. And what that means is all the great theologians around um, our uh, country and even some across the sea, I suppose, are um, coming and preparing papers and, so, and things like that. So uh, Dr. Kyle Wells studied at the University of Durham uh, in England. He is a New Testament scholar, more specifically a Pauline scholar. That's fancy for he studies the Apostle Paul. Um, but more than that, he is a pastor in the PCA uh, in Santa Barbara. But more than all of that, Kyle is my friend. Um, Kyle and I are a part, a small group of pastors. There's five of us. We're a cohort, and we pray together uh, once a month, and then once a year, we uh, have a retreat together, and this is where we look each other in the eyes. Um, we check under the hood. We confess our sin. We're known, and we really um, love one another as brothers, and so when I knew that Kyle was coming to town for SB, I was like, buddy, you're busy on Sunday morning. You got something to do, and he was so kind to come and love uh, Denver Presbyterian Church. Kyle, I'm really glad that you're here. Um, I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to make you preach there, not here. How's that sound? All right, come here. Let me, let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for my friend, Kyle. Um, thank you that you are so kind to us. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for how he has prepared and studied it. I pray that you would surprise Kyle with joy, even as he brings and explains your word to us. Uh, Lord, we are naturally hard-hearted, and our hearts are, ten are prone to wander and to um, shut down. But we ask by your spirit that you would illumine these ancient and sacred words. Um, I pray that we would see you, that you would be beautiful and believable, and that all together we would all grow uh, to know the Savior, Jesus. So bless this time. We set it apart, and we ask that you would meet with us through your spirit. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Kyle, welcome. Glad you're here, buddy. 
Thanks, Ronnie, and thank you. Uh, it's great to be here. And you have a very warm church in a very cold city, I have to admit. I, uh, I'm actually, uh, it's been nice being here, but I'm looking forward to going back home and spending maybe, I don't know, two months to thaw out from the chill that I have embraced. I've been like freezing. I've become a weather wimp since moving to Santa Barbara because our lows are 60 and our highs are 80. So I'm like right not in my sweet spot. Uh, but I think about going home, and a lot of you are thinking about that, because I understand that Denver, like Santa Barbara, is a place where a lot of you aren't from originally. And so with the Thanksgiving holidays coming up, many of us are contemplating going home. And for some of us, I know that that is a difficult thing to contemplate, going home. It's actually a common trope in literature, movies, from the ancients to modern day, whether it's Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz trying to get home, whether it's the children in the Chronicles of Narnia, or whether it's Jack Botton going back to Gilead. We know this story of wanting to go home, but also knowing that going home can be a challenge. Today we face, uh, or we come to a text, a story where Jacob, one of Israel's patriarchs, is going home. He's been gone for a long time. Let me set the scene for you. Jacob's been gone from home for almost 20 years. He left under duress and family conflict. You see, he colluded with his mother to lie to his father to steal the blessing and the birthright from his elder brother. Now, in our world, in our day, a blessing and a birthright, those don't mean much to us, but they meant a whole lot to him. So much in their world that his elder brother Esau, he vowed to kill him. And so Jacob fled in the middle of the night. He became a wanderer, roaming about, but now he's on his way home, and he is terrified because he remembered the vow of his brother and he is about to have to face him. A, a verse that wasn't read for you or printed for you back earlier in the chapter in verse 7 says that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. You see, he is terrified. And so he comes up to the forge of the Javik River. He sends all his stuff across. He sends his family across. And there we find in verse 24, that he is left alone that night, all alone, to wrestle with his past, with his thoughts. There's a medieval mystic named St. John of the Cross. He wrote a poem about the soul's ascent to God, but the, the poem, it doesn't start with an ascent to God. It starts in darkness in loneliness, in an obscure night, fevered with love's anxiety, oh, hapless, happy plight. I went, none seeing me, forth from my house, where all things quiet be. St. John of the Cross didn't name this poem, but others did after it. They have called it the dark night of the soul. This is Jacob's dark night of the soul. And I wonder if you can relate. 
Maybe that's why you're here this morning. Maybe you've never been to church. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been to church, but you're facing a dark night of the soul. Some of you maybe are here in spite of your dark night of the soul. Something's happened, and the intimacy that you felt with God, it just has gone away. Or maybe it's, it's hard to tell what is true and what is good and what is beautiful anymore, and you feel discombobulated, disoriented, and you're wondering, where can I find my bearings? Maybe you are here, and you are experiencing a dark night of the soul. Can you relate to Jacob? Jacob is there all night, and he is left to wrestle. Verse 24, we read that a man wrestled with Jacob until the breaking of the day. Who is this man that Jacob's wrestling with? It's very mysterious. Verse 29, please tell me your name, Jacob says. He doesn't even know his name. In verse 26, we learn that he, he refuses to be seen. When light comes at the break of day, he says, let me go for day is breaking. I don't want you to see my face. Who is this mysterious man? The great Hebrew scholar Robert Alter said it's Jacob wrestling with his inner demons. You know, in a lot of ways, Jacob has been wrestling his whole life. He came out of the womb, a twin, grabbing, grasping at his brother's heel. He wrestled his brother on the way out of the womb. He wrestled his brother for the blessing. He, he wrestled his father-in-law Laban for two wives and lots of goods. Jacob has been a man who is wrestling and striving his entire life. And I wonder, can you relate to Jacob? I can. I know what it's like my whole life to scratch and claw, to try to figure out if I can make a place for myself in this world. whether that's through trying to excel in scholarship or whether it's trying to have a big successful church or whether it's trying to make the grade or whether it's trying to be likable or funny. I know what it's like to scratch and claw and strive and wrestle and, and feel like life is a contest and a lot of you do too. Some of you are wrestling to get ahead or to get on top like Jacob was. Some of you feel like you're just wrestling and striving just to make it through the day with the schedule and the alarm clocks and all the list that you have to check. Jacob knows what it's like to wrestle. He has been wrestling his whole life. But that night, he had never felt anything, or he had never faced anything like he faced that night. See, who is this man 
Some say it's the guardian angel of Esau, and in Hebrew tradition, many thought it is an angel. The book of Hosea tells us that. I'm sure that at first, Jacob probably thought that it was his brother Esau, his burly brother there, come to fulfill his vow to kill him in the middle of the night. But who does Jacob end up thinking that this is? Look at verse 30. Jacob names the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face. I have seen God. Who does Jacob think he is wrestling with? Jacob believes that he has wrestled with God. Can you relate to Jacob? See, do you know what it's like to wrestle with God? God, why is this happening to me? God, why does my child suffer with chronic illness? God, why am I single again? God, why? And how? And how long? And how much? And when is it going to let up? When are you going to give me what I need to flourish? Jacob is wrestling with God, but, but you know, he didn't know it, not for most of the night. And in verse 29, he says, please tell me your name, because he doesn't even know who he's wrestling with. You know, I think a lot of us, we're wrestling with God, and we don't even know it. I mean, some, some of you, you wake up in the morning and there's just this low-grade anger. You snap at the dog. Someone goes out of the way in their stop sign and you yell at them. You're just kind of a little irritable all the time. It's your boss or your kid or your... But what if it's not any of those things? This last year was a pretty difficult year in my church's life. Uh, and a pretty demanding year. We were in the midst of a capital campaign, um, but also my, uh, my associate pastor and colleague, his family fell uh, ill. His wife was suffering, and he had, to, he had to take a leave of absence, and then he had to leave. So I was left with the work of the church, with trying to fulfill this job uh, that he has, was normally doing, trying to care for them and and, and, uh, and sadness over their departure because they had to go back and be with family. And I was just exhausted. We also had some other family crises going on and health issues. And, and, uh, and I was really looking forward to my sabbatical because I had the sabbatical planned. And I was going to go on the sabbatical and I was going to get some sweet rest. And I had planned to do research. And, and and this sabbatical had been planned for like three years, but it kept getting delayed because, you know, we had this whole thing called a pandemic. And so maybe you heard of it. And so I was finally, finally had done my, finished the campaign, preached my last sermon, was about to go, packing my bags, and I get the call. The devastating, tragic call that my colleague's wife took her life. I have a a church that is in disarray. 
grieving. I called one person after another of her close friends to let them know it was excruciating. We had a service of prayer and lament. And it was there at that service that, that it finally dawned on me. I'm angry. And I finally said, God, I think I'm angry with you for letting all this happen. Do you know what it's like to wrestle with God? And maybe you're wrestling with God and you don't even know it. Jacob has been wrestling all night. You know, a high school wrestling match, maybe you're a wrestler in here. I was never a wrestler. I did own a singlet, but that was, um, that was for like, that was for comp- comedic purposes in, in college. You can ask me about that story later. But, uh, but a high school wrestling match, right? It, it lasts two-minute periods. There are three periods, and then you can have a bonus period. That means a total of eight minutes. And if you have ever wrestled for two minutes straight, it is exhausting. That's why they have to take a break. And then you wrestle again for two minutes straight. It is exhausting. And then again, at the end of eight minutes, you are completely spent. That's why my hat's off to all those people who do like jujitsu and things like that. I mean, it is so exhausting. Uh, The longest recorded wrestling match in history was actually in the 1912 Olympics. It was the semifinals, and Martin Klein was wrestling Alfred Asenkanen. Their wrestling match lasted, get this, 11 hours and 40 minutes. Klein won. He was so exhausted and he was so physically spent after wrestling for 11 hours and 40 minutes that he was disqualified from the finals and he lost like he couldn't get the gold because he could not recover in time. Like, they tried to reschedule his, his, uh, his match during the Olympic tri- tri- uh, time, but it, was, it, was, it wasn't enough time to recover. Jacob has been wrestling all night long. And the man says to him in verse 26, let me go. But Jacob, he will not let him go. He has a chance to tap out. He has been wrestling all night, and he will not let him go. He refuses to tap out. Why? Jacob is after something. What is he after? Verse 26, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob is after the blessing. Jacob is after what we are all after. We ask it in a thousand different ways to a thousand different things and a thousand different people. Bless me. Give me what I think I need to flourish. Give me what I think I need to be fulfilled. Give me what I think I need to be complete, to be enough. Bless me. See, I think we are all after this blessing. We spend our lives chasing this blessing. Jacob is after the blessing. But what would it look like for Jacob to be blessed? What did it look like? What did it entail? What well, entails two things. First, it entails a new name. 
In verse 27, the man asked Jacob, what is your name? Now, your name, that's pretty significant. I mean, that's what you were called. That's how people identify you. Uh, back in the ancient world, it was, it was even more significant. Names were about vocation, and they were about character. In, in other words, your, your name is your identity. So in asking, what is your name, uh, God was asking Jacob, who are you? That's a very difficult question to answer. It can take our entire lives to answer that question. The ancient temple of Delphi, there's inscribed on the side, know thyself. It was thought to be a long and arduous task to figure out who you are. Today, I think it's even a more arduous task and a more fraught task because, because, and a more important task because if there's a mantra today, if, if there's a value above all else, it's be true to yourself. And so you better be true to yourself. And so in order to be true to yourself, though, you have to know yourself. But there's another command that we're given, another thing that we're told in our world, and that is you have to create yourself. You have to create your identity. You have to determine who you are. And so, and so we have this thing where you have to be authentic to yourself, but who is the self that I have to be authentic to that I'm trying to create? You have to know yourself, but, but, but then you have to be true to yourself, and, and it's causing this tremendous amount of anxiety because the weight is so huge. Jacob is asked, who are you? And how does he answer? Yaakov means trickster, deceiver. You think about that? Jacob spent his whole life trying to build a name for himself, and yet the name that, that he has to say that, that he is, is is, I am one who deceives. That's fundamentally who I am. In other words, Jacob has spent his whole life trying to build an identity for himself, a name for himself, and he doesn't even know who he is. My dad goes by Stan. Always knew it was his middle name. On his credit cards, it said D period Stan Wells. And I said, Dad, what does the D stand for growing up? He said, well, it stands for Donley. Okay, Donley Stan Wells. We were going to leave the country, and he had to go get his passport renewed, and we couldn't find his birth certificate. And when you can't do that, you have to like go down to City Hall into the records and that kind of thing. So my mom goes down to get the records for my dad to get his birth certificate so that he can get his passport. And she goes down, and she goes to get Donley Stan Wells's, um, uh, or Donley Stanley, I think is what he thought his name was. Donley Stanley Wells' name for the birth certificate. And you know what the birth certificate said? Dan Stan. My dad was 57 years old, and he didn't know his name for his entire life. He told everyone his name was Don. It wasn't even Don. It wasn't Donley. It, was, it wasn't even Daniel. It was Dan Stan. His name was Dan Stan. I mean, could you imagine the embarrassment of figuring out, coming to realize, like that late in life, 
my whole life, I've been deceived about who I was. Could you imagine that? Jacob can. I think we can. Centuries later, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9, will say, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. You know that word deceitful? It's the word yakaf. The heart is Jacob. You and I, not only can we relate to Jacob, see, we are Jacob. What is your name? And then what happens is Jacob is given a new name. Verse 28, your name shall no longer, shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. You know, if you're a monk, if you're entering the monastery, the thing that they do is they give you a new name. They change your name. It's like, no longer Kyle. You're going to be called, I don't know, Rudolph. I mean, could you imagine how humbling that is? Your whole life you've been called, and you have to give that up. You have to give up your name, give up your identity, and they are going to call something, you something else. And you don't get to choose it. They get to choose it. But you see, there's no other way to enter the monastery. And there's no other way to get the blessing. You see, all the sources of identity that we have built that we have derived identity from, this identity that we have created for ourselves, if we want to get the blessing, we have to give that up and we have to receive a new name. That's what the Apostle Paul found out. He said in Galatians 2, 19 and 20, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Through the law, that source that gave Paul all every sense of identity, who he was, circumcised on the eighth day, who he was, a faithful follower of the law. Everything about Paul's identity was based on the law, and he said, through the law, I died to the law. I had to die to the law, every source of identity, in order that I might come alive to God. I have been crucified with Christ. I, the old self, the old identity, it no longer lives. I have to receive a new identity, one from God. And there's no other way to know God. There's no other way to have a relationship with God. Have you received a new name? A lot of us, we spent our whole lives trying to build a name for ourselves like, like good mother or soft-spoken or, or, or funny or witty or, or hard-working. No longer hard-working, but beloved. That's the name that you're given in your baptism. No, no longer good mother, but my well-loved child. No longer Jacob, but Israel. And what about this name Israel, the name that, that God gives him in verse 28? Well, Israel, Ishra means to strive or to wrestle. El means God. It means to wrestle with God. The name that God gives to Jacob is wrestles with God. For you have striven with God 
verse 28. You know, Jacob wouldn't just be the only person that took on this name. Israel is the name that God's people take on themselves. That means God names his people. The very name that he gives his people is wrestles with me. That's our identity as God's people. That's who we are. We are those who wrestle with God. We are those who don't just take the world as it comes, but we say, God, if you are good, why is this happening in Ukraine? God, if you, if you are sovereign, then why are you letting this happen to my sister? God, if you love me, then why does my life look like this? We are those who wrestle with God and we prevail. Look, verse 26. Jacob says, I am not letting you go. I will not let you go until you bless me. And then verse 28, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. See, God's people are not just those who wrestle with God. God's people are those who wrestle with God and prevail. We wrestle with God and we come out the other side. Jacob comes out the other side, but he did not come out the same. He was given a new name. And it can be very hard to live out of that new name. How do you continue to live out of that new source of identity? Well, he's not just given a new name. He's also given something else. He's given a limp. Look, verse 31. The sun rose up upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. You see, when Jacob was wrestling with God that night and God realized that he wasn't going to prevail over him, it says that he touched him in his hip socket. Verse 25, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. You know, if you are a if you're a, a power lifter or something like that, the most important thing to like warm up and stretch out if you're going to lift, if you don't want to get hurt, is your hip. Because that's your source of power. That's your fulcrum of strength. And that's where Jacob was wounded. You know, I think we often think that, that our strength is going to give us an advantage in acquiring the blessing. We are often looking for the blessing to come from our places of greatest strength, whatever those are, our family, our looks, our intellect, our history, our heritage, our social fluence. But the blessing doesn't come from a place of strength. The blessing comes from a place of weakness, desperation even. I will not let you go until you bless me. You see, we all want to be blessed, but do we want to be wounded? But before you can receive the blessing, you must receive the wounding. Think about this. Jacob had already been blessed, remember? His dad blessed him instead of his brother. He had the blessing, and yet he was still after the blessing because he didn't believe the blessing. You know why? Because the blessing cannot be grasped at. It cannot be taken. It can only be received. But to be received, well, to be received, you have to be dependent. And where dependence is the objective, 
Weakness is an advantage. And so that's why in order to be blessed, you have to be wounded. So what would it look like to be blessed? And what would it look like to encounter God? It looks like a limp. Let me ask you the question, do you have a limp in your life? A loving, gracious limp. That's a reminder of your need to depend on God for a new strength and a new power and a new identity. See, Jacob sees God's face and he lives, but he lives in a new way with a new dependence and a new power. No longer strong, but weak. No longer striving, but limping. No longer grasping, but blessed. And only now, only now is he ready to face Esau. What are you facing? Could it be that, that the wounds that you carry are actually the thing that's going to enable you to face what you feel like is insurmountable in your life? Because it's there that God will drive you to himself to receive his love and his power and his grace to make you the type of person that can face Whatever situation you have to face, is it conflict at work or in your family? Is it a history or past that you just don't want to look at? Is it, is it mounting debt, credit cards? Is it that time that you blew up at your brother? Jacob is now ready to face Esau. So what would the story have meant for those Israelites who received it, whose identity is named Israel, wrestles with God? Well, as one scholar put it, it would have at least told them that Israel is not formed by success or shrewdness or land or riches, but by an assault of God. And that's how we're all created. It, that's the grace it doesn't look like grace to us, but that is grace, believe me. And how do you know if you are counted amongst God's people? What would it mean to be his? Well, it means that you wrestle with God. You wrestle with God and you prevail. That you see him and you live, but you live in a new way with a new dependence and a new power. And when you see God, what does he look like? Jacob asked the man for his name. But he didn't tell him his name, did you see? He says, but, but he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there, what does he do? He blessed him. He said, what is your name? And he didn't give him his name. Instead of giving him his name, he blessed him. Do you know why? Because that is his name. Yahweh, I will. I will be your God. I will bless you. I will live in covenant faithfulness to you. I will pursue you for good. That is who I am. That is my name. My name is I am one who blesses my people over and over and over and over and over again. That is my name. Tell me your name. And he blessed him. But he not, just, he not only blessed him. How did he bless him? See, if Israel means wrestles with God and prevails, then who, does, who is God? God is one who less wrestles with his people and has prevailed over. 
and therein blesses them. And so if you want to know who God is, if you want to know his identity, if you want to know his name, then you need to go to a hill outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago that the Jews call Golgotha and the Romans call Calvary. For it's there that we wrestled with God. And it's there that we prevailed over God. And it's there that he blessed us. And it's there that he wounded us. Doesn't it cut your heart? It does mine. And it's there that we are changed forever. So let me pray for us. And so, God, we ask that you would have your way with us as trepidatious as we are in offering that prayer. That we might wrestle with you and prevail over you and that you might bless us and wound us and conquer us. That we might live as your beloved forever. Amen.